questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Do you know you have a physician within you? And perhaps you don't know about it? Your dreams can provide inner guidance and life-saving information. Since ancient Egypt and Greece, people have relied on dreaming to diagnose illness and get answers to personal life challenges. Now dreams are making a grand reappearance in the medical arena, as recent scientific research and medical pathology reports validate the diagnostic abilities of precognitive dreams. Are we stepping back into the future? As modern medical tests show dreams can be early warning signs of cancer and other diseases? Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fambergas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guests are Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis and Dr. Larry Burke. Kathleen has spent years studying and teaching about dreams, a three-time breast cancer survivor whose premonitory dreams diagnosed her cancer. She credits her survival to conventional treatment combined with her dreams as a diagnostic tool. Kathleen is one of 20 case studies from a paper on precognitive dreams that diagnosed breast cancer recently published in a medical journal. She lives in Palm Beach, Florida. And Dr. Larry Burke, MD, is the president of Healing Imager PC, specializing in teleradiology, emotional freedom techniques, hypnosis, and dream work. He attended medical school and residency training at the University of Pittsburgh and later trained in acupuncture and hypnosis, becoming a certified energy health practitioner. The author of Let Magic Happen, he lives in Durham, Durham, North Carolina. Tonight's special guests discuss their new book titled Dreams That Can Save Your Life, Early Warning Signs of Cancer and Other Diseases. Hello, Kathleen and Dr. Burke. Welcome to Veritas. Uh, thank you, Mel, for having us on. Uh, yes, indeed. It's, it's great to be here. And I'm looking forward to coming to Arizona in real time in a month. Uh, oh, it'll be a pleasure. And may I call you Kat and Larry? Yes. Yes. Thank you very much. Well, this is a very special, special interview because dreams have been something very important to all of us. Although we don't seem to discuss it that much, but the fact that the medical industry is now paying attention to this. Is the medical industry taking dreams seriously once and for all? Uh, I'd say we still have a ways to go. Um, <laughs> the, the study that uh, I published and that Kathleen uh, participated in was a pilot study and much more research needs to be done. And we're uh, attempting to uh, restore dreams to their rightful place in medicine and healing. Uh, the indigenous people have known this for thousands of years, and as you mentioned, the Greeks uh, and, and Egyptians and others have been doing it for millennia also. It's interesting that I always mention in the past few months that it seems that academia says that technology, the evolution of technology is linear. In other words, we are the top of the pyramid when it comes to knowledge. But we look back at the ancient ones, and they did, they were using dreams as a 
factor in determining disease thousands of years ago. Why do you think that is? That finally we're paying attention to what the ancient ones did. Well, I mean, Freud and Jung uh, clearly uh, did a lot to bring dreams back onto the radar screen uh, 150 years ago when technology was just starting to boom. But uh, unfortunately, in the last 100 years, technology has really outstripped uh, our interest in the inner workings of, of the soul, and dreams are a big part of that. I, I think we're seeing people beginning to realize that uh, technology may not save us after all. So maybe we have to go back inside and get the answers. Is there a connection between dreams and possible disease and what Edgar Casey did? I know that uh, you know many people follow his studies. Some people think that he was just it was just uh, you know baloney what he was saying. But there's so much information about what he did. Was he actually dreaming? Well, I think there's a this long spectrum of altered states of consciousness from daydreaming uh, that all of us do uh, on a regular basis to uh, the, the liminal states when we're going in and out of sleep and where we're passing into altered states where the brain waves slow down from beta into alpha into theta and you get vivid images. And then for someone like Casey, he's tapping into a whole, whole other level of connecting to the higher self or Akashic Records or whatever you want to call it. And uh, some people have the ability to do that when they're awake. Other people do it when they're in a trance, like Casey was really in, in a trance when he was in, because he didn't have any conscious memory of, of what he said uh, when he was doing his readings. And other people do it when they're completely asleep. Um, and, and there's various different really levels of, of sleeping in, in terms of lucid dreaming versus uh, many other types of dreaming. And, and, and Kat can explain her take on the different ways that she dreams. Go ahead, Kat. Okay, so, um, you know, usually when I dream, and, and Edgar Casey was a, a dreaming prophet, so he was asleep when he would uh, dream these prophecies and then he he wouldn't really remember them and so in the case of many dreamers they're able to pull those dreams out with them in other words Edgar Casey didn't know he was dreaming when he was dreaming because he was awake before he went into that state but in our cases and with many of the women in Dr. Larry Burke's study we are able to bring these dreams back into our waking world into our waking realm and in my case it was like doorways into divine areas where you got information so I would have a regular epic dream or my regular dream would be playing in my mind while I was asleep and suddenly that dream would freeze much like your your computer uh, the the page on your computer it just freezes and then I'd get a pop-up window in my dream just like you get a pop-up window on your computer and I could see through that window there were there was movement and then that window would turn into a door in my dream and through that door I would walk a monk 
and I have no idea why a monk bell. I have no idea. You know, everybody else has all these really, really cute uh, spirit guides, but I have these very stern monks who are very, very good, but they would walk through the dream doorway and say, come with us. We have something to tell you. And they would take me into that room between realms, which was a room that was neither of the living nor the dead, but both could join there to give information to each other and anybody brought into that room. And that's where they told me, took my hand, placed it on my breast and said, you have breast cancer, can you feel that? And I said, yes. And they said, go back to your doctor tomorrow and get a separate set of tests. So then they would take me back through the dream door, that door would close and my dream would start back up again, the one that had frozen, because while I was in that room between realms, time had stood still. And at the time, you did not know that you had breast cancer. Well, I was hoping they were wrong. Um, I had gone for my yearly mammogram and pap smear and uh, blood test and and physical exam uh, just a few weeks before that. It looked like not even that long, just like a week before that. And and uh, the results had come back negative for any breast cancer. I was totally healthy. Uh, that at least that's what the paperwork said. And that's when the nightmare started. And they continued for three months until I was able to convince my doctor to do exploratory surgery to find the breast cancer, which was an aggressive cancer, stage two, and in, in a lymph node. This is absolutely incredible. Do you think, Kat, that you were tapping into the spirit world? I absolutely believe that, yes. And, and it, it wasn't just me. Many of the stories in the book taught, speak of uh, deceased loved ones, some of which they had never met. Those loved ones or those family members had died before that person was born. Yet when they were going through treatment, they saw them from the other side. They came into this area between worlds uh, to check on them. So I think we all have that capability. I think through these sacred dream world doors, we can go back to connect with the people with whom we were associating before we were born. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say, some of the dreamers also reported being visited by uh, white-coated healthcare professionals, uh, either doctors or nurses or, or counselors, who they later met uh, a few days or a few weeks later and recognized uh, that they'd been uh, with them in the dream. So that's very precognitive that they're anticipating meeting someone, you know, in the future. Mm -hmm. See, how can, how, of course, I deal with a radio program that discusses the paranormal also and, and the most real, you know, the medical aspect too but how can you ignore testimony after testimony and your book is filled with them of people who have dreams and exactly or almost exactly what they dreamt manifested how can you explain that to a scientist <laughs> well i usually give three different possible explanations for some of the, the dream information that we're getting uh, the, the simplest for a scientist to except would be, well, actually the women in the study might have had some subtle symptoms that they were either ignoring or denying, and then the dream just brought it to their attention. Uh, that, that most people can get their minds around. Uh, and, and people do like to avoid their symptoms. That, that, that does happen. Uh, 
all the time. Uh, the second level would be there's some signaling mechanism in uh, the you know neuroanatomy uh, of, of connecting the breast to the uh, limbic system in the brain and turning it into a dream, and that might be a mechanism we don't really understand from a neurophysiologic point of view yet. And then, of course, the third level, which is hardest for conventional scientists to accept, would be what I just described as having a precognitive dream about someone you're going to meet a week from now, which violates all the principles of uh, of space and time. Now, oh, tell oh. Go, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. <laughs> I was just saying, uh, that's too bad, but I, I'm not, the scientists are going to have to come up with a new theory. Right? <laughs> yes. Now, tell us about the history of healing dreams. Tell us, go back to the beginning. Well, I, I think obviously probably the oldest recorded stories about uh, dreams are from the Aboriginal people, which probably go back 40,000 years to, into the what they refer to as the dream time, which was their concept that what we were living in was a waking dream and that they were tapping into a, a bigger consciousness, which they called the dream time. And then Native Americans have been using in the shamanic traditions for millennia as well. And clearly, some of those healing processes are guided by what are called big dreams. And then the Egyptian Asclepian temples were uh, established to allow people to go in on a pilgrimage seeking an answer to a health question, and then with the intention of sleeping overnight in the temple, incubating a dream, and then discussing the dream with a priest the next morning in hopes of getting a prescription for some herbal remedy or perhaps even having a dream that would accomplish the healing all by itself. How did the Breast Cancer Dreams Project uh, begin? It uh, began through two of my friends who told me about their dreams. And the first one was a precognitive dream of being on a uh, operating room table with a woman surgeon operating on her breast, knew exactly where the cancer was. And then when she went to get her mammogram, they told her it was normal and she wasn't satisfied and said, I, I need an ultrasound. And went back and forth with the radiologist until she finally told her exactly where to do the ultrasound and found the cancer, even though the mammogram had been normal. And my second friend was a physician who had a similar experience. The mammogram was reported to be normal but she was so convinced that she had breast cancer that she insisted on the, going over the mammography films with the radiologist and pointed out a suspicious area that had been overlooked and that, that turned out to be the cancer. So those two got me started on this research quest. I'm going to repeat the question again because it's, what does the medical industry say about these dream warnings preceding the diagnosis of breast cancer research results? Let's say SU cat. The mm -hmm. results came out negative again and again and again. But then you had these dreams. How do you confront a medical doctor and tell him, listen, I'm having these dreams. I want to do deeper, deeper analysis as to what's happening with me. Well, you do it very carefully <laughs> because you want to get treatment and not a padded cell. So you, um, I actually did not <laughs> tell my doctors uh, because they were very conservative Boston doctors, and, and I knew that. Um, and so what I did was just I was I stood in my power and spoke my truth and was very insistent that I needed a second set of tests. And in my case, I was armed by my my monk 
uh, Franciscan monk spirit guides with a tiny feather they had given me at the last dream I had had when I saw them step through those doors and I started crying. And I said, look, I've been back to my doctors numerous times every time you've sent me and they're still giving me the same tests and telling me I'm healthy to go home. So if I really do have cancer and you want me to live, help me. And they handed me a tiny white feather and said, go back tomorrow without an appointment and use this feather as though it's a sword and cut through your doctor's arguments and you'll get exploratory surgery. And that's what I did. So I did not tell my doctor that I was having dreams because my gut instinct was telling me that they would not have been as open to that as just me being persistent. So I was persistent and that did work. And, and it took me three and a half months to get that exploratory surgery, which brings us back to the idea of the book dreams as an early warning sign of cancer and other diseases. If my doctor had simply said, you know, if you're having uh, these anxiety attacks, I was just saying I'm having anxiety attacks. I'm very anxious. I know something's wrong. Um, and he, he had said three months before that, let's do uh, an MRI. Let's just do an MRI. Um, then my cancer would have been found before it had traveled already to a lymph node. And it might have been found at such an early stage, I wouldn't have had to have the severe chemotherapy, the 36 treatments of radiation and surgery on top of it. So that's one of the reasons why Dr. Larry Burke and I wrote this book, because we need to use those dreams that are given to us as early warning signs, uh, because that's what they are. So you actually went through full standard of care. So all I, the battery. I, went through, I went through full standard of care twice uh, because I had recurrence and the doctors again missed it. They were using mammograms to watch for recurrence when mammograms hadn't shown the first breast cancer. And by the time I was able to get an MRI, which again took me three and a half months. And remember, we're, we're not a third world country when it comes to medicine. Yet that's how hard and how long and how persistently you have to fight to get the tests you know you need. And at that point, I was uh, I had a nine by 11 centimeter tumor that was missed with mammograms. And again, I had to go through chemotherapy. Uh, radiation therapy, and I ended up with a double mastectomy. So the dreams could have kept me from going through all that if the doctors would have simply said, what makes you think you have this? And if I knew that they were open and I said, well, I'm having a dream. And they said, okay, let's do a second set of tests. If you're that uncomfortable about the results that you had previously, let's just go ahead and do um, an another test. And find this stuff earlier. Why Why should anybody have to fight that hard to stay alive? Well, and unfortunately, most people treat doctors. And no offense, Dr. Burke, because you seem to be outside the box. You seem to think yes. outside the box, that is. But uh, most people treat doctors like, like demigods. Whatever they say goes. And, you know, even if you have a dream, some people may ignore it. And what I always say, you are responsible for your own health folks mm -hmm. just because doctors went to medical school and spent all those decades studying it's they're not perfect and sometimes the answer lies somewhere else and who would have thought that in a dream 
The answer might be. Now, what about some of the basic dream categories? What are some of the, them? Uh, do you want to take that, Larry? Uh, well, I mean, there are, Kat has a, a nice chapter in the book which goes through all different categories, but uh, some of the uh, basic ones are precognitive dreams where you're dreaming the future. I mean, that's perhaps the most exotic kind, other than lucid dreams where you're actually aware that you're dreaming while you're still asleep. Uh, and then there are uh, the diagnostic dreams where you're picking up information uh, from your own body uh, that uh, you, know, you then take action on. There's also you know, the dreams you have falling asleep or waking up sort of in terminal space where you get a lot of vivid imagery. And, and those, those are potent areas to get the good information. And people also have daydreams. Uh, where you're kind of dozing off and going into a little bit of trance and you get imagery that way. Anytime you can dip into the, uh, the alpha and theta frequencies of your brain, you'll, you'll get useful uh, images. And I was also thinking about what you said about earlier about uh, doctors making mistakes. Well, uh, the third friend of mine who had a, a vivid dream about having breast cancer and went to her doctor, even complaining about some tenderness near her sternum, uh, the doctor did an exam, explained to her that it was probably just normal breast tissue, and did not even order a mammogram. And unfortunately, she was my friend who died of breast cancer a couple of years later. So that was that was sort of the inspiration for really getting the word out about this, so that that never happened to anyone else. And if anyone has a dream, and uh, they can get a copy of my paper, take it to their doctor, and explain that there's at least something in the medical literature. Actually, this happened uh, about a month ago when I was on my book tour. Uh, a woman came up to me in Charlotte. It was the first person in line at the book signing said I had to come. I had a dream about breast cancer a week ago. I Googled it to see if there was any information, found the book and, and my website, realized I was coming to Charlotte to give a talk, uh, book signing, so she showed up. I had just had a mammogram the day before and had a, a breast mass and was going in for a biopsy the next week. So I felt like that was confirmation that the book was actually doing what it was supposed to be doing. So, mm -hmm. What about dreams of someone else? In other words, what if you have a dream of a condition developing on someone else? Because as, as I said before, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is, uh, at least I used to, before I started realizing that dreams or a door to somewhere else, and it gave me a lot of answers, and I'll explain later. But people who seem to ignore their dreams, perhaps a dream happens to someone else. Let's say somebody says, Kat, I think you may have breast cancer. Would you actually go and tell that third party about it without sounding crazy, with all the respect? Well, I, you know, I think that if you have a really... A strong recurring dream, which is one of the things that made these dreams different from all the other dreams you have. They refuse to be dismissed. You can't stop thinking about them. They're always in your conscious. You you know, during the day, you have daydreams about them. At night, you have recurrent dreams. Uh, they, they produce anxiety because they're a call to action. And if I were having those kind of dreams, yes, I would go to them and say, look, I'm having this dream about you with health issues, I really um, 
want you to go to the doctor. And in the book, in one of the cases, it was a mother-daughter team. The, the daughter said to the mother, I'm having this dream about you having breast cancer. I'm seeing your breasts bleeding. And the mother said, well, you can't have a dream about me. You're having a dream about you because you can only dream about you. So you go to the doctor. So she did. She went to the doctor and the doctor said, no, you're healthy. You're fine. And she knew then the, the dream she was having about her mother was for her mother. She took her mother to the doctor and her mother did have the breast cancer so that, you know, in a way we're kind of getting back to the, to the previous question that you, you asked about, um, you know, can you actually have these, these, if we have diagnostic dreams about ourselves, we're going into our body and we are getting subtle, you know, symptoms and, and that's actually, uh, manifesting in the dreams. Um, or you could get these signals in your, in your brain or your, your neuroanatomy that, that are translated into the dreams. But how do you explain that when you're having a dream for somebody else who is not attached to your body and maybe all the way across the country. And that's where I say we are connecting into that room between realms where people from the other side and this side can meet. And also maybe because we're all connected to that universal oneness that we hear about so much in, in many of the metaphysical books. Uh, maybe that's proof that we really are connected some, to something much, much bigger than ourselves. Do you think we have a physician within ourselves and we just haven't noticed? No, absolutely, because I met mine in one of the dreams uh, that's actually in this book. It was a precognitive dream. In other words, nothing had happened yet. I had it while I was going through my first treatment, and uh, that treatment was, was going quite well, even though it was really brutal. And um, in the dream, I walked into a waiting room, and the door to the right, which is usually your future, opened, and a, a, a young woman came out in, in a white medical coat. She walked up to me and offered her hand and said, hi, I'm your physician within. My name is Dr. Jules. And suddenly three crabs appeared on the floor and they started scurrying. And she said, you catch those. And they went through a door on the left, which is the past. And they were scurrying down a flight of stairs into the basement, which was dark and, and damp. And it was perfect place for crabs to grow and when they reached the bottom landing I started to panic because I knew that if they split up and were not contained in that hallway I'd never be able to find them and catch them and so I yelled stop and when they stopped I reached down and scooped them up in a container of water that had appeared in my hand and that water the, the, the three crabs in that container pulled in their pinchers and their legs and they became three beautiful pearls. And almost five years to the day of that dream is when the recurrence was discovered. And then almost a year after that was the third cancer that was discovered. So at the time I had that dream, I kept going, well, wait a minute. I had cancer in my left breast. I had cancer in a lymph node. That's two. Where's the third crab? Where's the third pearl? But it wasn't the cancer in the lymph node. I actually had three cancers. 
three crabs that turned into three pearls. And the result of that is this book. And that's precognitive. I forgot the condition's name. Perhaps uh, Dr. Burke can remind me, but it's not hypochondriac. But it's of, <laughs> of, of someone who says, oh, I think I have this or that. And their emotion disease connection kicks in and the condition manifests. Might there be a correlation between these dreams and what I just mentioned? Um, I've always wondered about whether there's any psychosomatic uh, any wish fulfillment that could take place, because we did have some people have dreams about cancers that didn't manifest for five years later. The one woman actually had a dream, of another mother-daughter team had a dream about her mother having cancer and, and dying soon, even though she hadn't been diagnosed. And then that the woman herself also had breast cancer. And sure enough, the mother wound up dying of cervical cancer six months later, even though she had had no symptoms up until the time of the dream. And so this woman then took, said to herself, well, if I was right about my mother's cancer, that must mean I have breast cancer. So she kept going in for mammograms for five years and never found anything. Then finally got an ultrasound on the fifth year and they found that the cancer. Uh, now, it does take cancer quite a while to develop uh, to the point where it's actually detectable by um, physical examination on a mammogram. So it's possible that the cancer was there five years before and just took that long to grow. It's kind of hard to know, uh, you know th th exactly what's going on in terms of cause and effect in, in cases like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and we even have another woman who knew she was going to die uh, at age 43 when she was a teenager and got breast cancer when she was 40 and went through all her chemo right up until her 43rd birthday. And then she managed to renegotiate her contract and is still alive 20 years later. So go figure that one out. You see, how can you explain that? But future areas of dream research, uh, I'm just thinking of, of people like the two of you who are accumulating all this data, tangible proof that this happens more often than not in many, many, many times and many people. How can you go to academia? How can you go to the medical industry and present this data and perhaps have additional research funded to explore more of this? Yeah, that, that's a very good question. And we're actually doing another pilot study at Duke right now just, uh, to begin to address one of the biggest complaints about uh, the survey that I did from the skeptics is we don't have a control group. We just have women who had these experiences. We don't know how many women are out there having dreams about breast cancer or don't have breast cancer or who have breast cancer and don't have dreams. So we just started giving a small survey to women coming to Duke for their breast biopsies uh, just to find out if they've had any dreams and if they keep a dream diary, if they remember their dreams, and if they have any dreams specifically about their, their breast or their cancer, we're starting to gather that information now. And that would, that would just be a preliminary study in hopes of doing a, a larger uh, study. And as you mentioned, it would have to be funded with, with research dollars to then collect their information as to whether they had a benign breast biopsy or a malignant breast biopsy. And, and as the general statistics go, about a third of women who have a breast biopsy turn out to have cancer. The other two thirds would have some other benign condition. 
So if we were to gather the dreams before their biopsy and see if we can predict from the dreams whether, what the result of the biopsy, that would be a, a study that would get much more attention in the medical literature. And the reason why I asked you the question is because I put myself in into cats shoes and well, even though I'm not a woman, but it, breast cancer can happen to men. In folks, mm -hmm. in case you didn't know, it happens to men. But I wish this was more of an accepted practice so that more people, when they go to do their annual checkup, would be able to get from their doctor. If the doctor would say, have you had any dreams about XYZ? To have a normal, serious conversation as opposed to somebody who thinks, I'm not even going to dare ask this or mention that I've had dreams because I'm going to be either ridiculed or, as you said before, sent to the, the, uh, the what do you call it, the room the, with the... Like uh, a padded room. The padded room, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's also an opportunity to perhaps use dreams and intuition to guide uh, the best use of these imaging technologies, which are expensive and, and have some risks. And there's a controversy going on now in the breast screening uh, literature as to whether women should start their mammograms at age 40 and get one every year or start at age 50 and get one every other year. And I've been just telling people, if you decided to, to, to take the position of starting when you're 50 and you have a dream in your 40s like Kat did that you need to get a mammogram, you should start your mammogram sooner. And, and that might help people guide their use of technology. And we're also finding that the dreams are help guide their use of uh, healing technology as well as Kat did getting her surgery and chemo and radiation. And we found that some of the dreamers uh, dream about getting holistic therapies like raw food diets or something like that. But others dream that, boy, I really need this chemo or this radiation or this other, other drug. So you, it's a good example of integrative medicine where you choose the best from both worlds. I was going to ask you if it's always I'm going to have to get a mammogram or I need to a second opinion as opposed to could the dream be, well, maybe you need to stop eating XYZ and start eating more vegetables, fruits, and, and change your diet overall. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of uh, possibilities as, as to uh, what, what kind of guidance people can get. And I also tell people when they have a health-related dream of any kind, they should ask two questions. One is, as we already previously mentioned, is this dream about me or about someone else? And the second right. question, is this dream about a physical problem or is it about an emotional metaphor for something going on in my life? And then one of the best ways to get resolved those questions is to ask for a clarifying dream the next night. It's like, oh, I got this puzzling image in my dream last night. I wonder what it means and then ask for specific guidance. Is this a real physical problem? I should get a test or is it an emotional issue and I should do some emotional work on myself? And that was another question I had. I remember back in the 80s, I bought a book at a store and it was dream interpretation. Sometimes you think about you're flying or you're falling a, on a hole or in, and it has a different meaning than what you're actually dreaming. But in this case, you're actually dreaming of what specifically the condition might be. And in some cases, it is just a metaphor. Uh, and I, I had uh, one of my uh, dreaming colleagues, an MRI technologist uh, in the book, who was faced with exact, that exact dilemma. And, and she had a dream about giving birth. 
which wasn't even a specific physical problem. It was sort of, that's a very symbolic dream. I'm giving birth. And it's like, okay. Her first thought was, I'm having uh, a creative inspiration for my next artwork. I'm giving birth to a, to a new project. And then she said, oh, I hope it's not a, actually a physical problem because I can't give birth because I'm postmenopausal. And my uterus doesn't do that anymore. So I wonder what my uterus might be doing. And, and so she asked for this clarifying dream. And she's taken to a graveyard in Ireland and shown a headstone surrounded by daisies. And, and the, the voice in the dream says, you'll be pushing up these daisies soon if you don't take care of that warning dream from last night. So she immediately went to the gynecologist, even though she had no symptoms, just this one weird dream. And the gynecologist did an exam, didn't really find anything definitive, so ordered an ultrasound, and sure enough, she had an endometrial cancer of the uterus, and then subsequently went through a vaginal hysterectomy where the, the tumor was effectively delivered through the vagina as if she was giving birth to it. So that's a case where it wasn't an emotional metaphor. It was a real physical problem. Now, here's a message for our spirit world, for those out there who are watching over us, spirit guys, fill in the blanks. Can you be a little bit more specific sometimes? Because as you just mentioned something, it requires, how do you pinpoint exactly what they mean? And how do you actually go for a clarifying dream after you've had the first one? Yeah, I mean, that's about setting the intention that you want more information. Now, I'll give you the opposite example was when the first time I presented at the International Association for the Study of Dreams, um, and, and, and by the way, Kat and I will be in Scottsdale, Arizona, June 16th through the 20th, presenting at the International Association for the Study of Dreams on a panel of folks who are going to be in the book, uh, uh, panelists whose stories are in the book. But that first International Association for the Study of Dreams conference, a researcher came up afterwards and heard what I had presented, and she said, I had a patient who had a very vivid dream about having cancer in the groin. She went for every test imaginable, the MRI scan, the ultrasound, the CT scan. They found nothing. And after all the negative results came back, she started thinking maybe it was a metaphor for something else going on in her life. And she realized, oh, wait, my, my boyfriend is actually a cancer astrologic sign and he's behaving kind of malignantly. So maybe I should dump him. And I always wondered what would happen if she had ignored the dream warning, married the boyfriend, would she have gotten a cancer there? Who knows? You see, it, it, the messages come in different types, colors, sizes, and you have to be able to pinpoint. And this is why I asked you that question of the hypochondriac. What if somebody's manifesting the dream based on the person's experience? Uh, I have a story about that that I'll tell you. And I know you you had an interest in in, in having a personal dream of a, a, a warning dream about an accident, not necessarily a physical illness. And, but I had a dream that was really puzzling to me and brought up the whole question of whether you're, I was manifesting something or whether it was precognitive. So I was dreamed one night that I was riding in a car and my woman passenger uh, happened to mention to me, she said, you know, someone told me I'm going to have a near death experience today. And I thought, in the dream, I'm thinking, oh, that's concerning. I think I'm going to drive really carefully. And I was going or stay a, home. Yeah, or stay home. And I'm going through a construction zone in the dream. And even though I'm really careful, I still wind up in a hospital bed. And my whole left side is damaged. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I think I must have a stroke. 
Uh, and then the dream neurologist in the white coat came by and asked me, do I have any neurological symptoms? And I said, no, I can move my arm and my leg. He said, you're fine. You can go home. And that was the end of the dream. And I woke up and always ask, what's the emotion when you wake up from a dream? And mine was relieved that he said I was going to be fine, but troubled that I was going to have a near-death experience. So I, I did not share that dream with my wife. I usually share everything with her in the morning when I wake up, but this one I, I did not. And we were going bike riding that morning, and it was during December in North Carolina, and it was a really cold spell overnight, yet we had just bought thermal bike gear to ride during the winter. And so we were going to test them out that morning. And I was concerned there might be black ice out there that we couldn't see, and I might have an accident. So I was going to, I was going to ride it really carefully. We got all our gear on. We're nice and warm, except we had the crazy uh, summer biking gloves, which had the fingertips cut out of them. And I realized, oh, that might not be so good. So we ride the first couple laps of our cul-de-sac. And then my fingers start to get really cold. So I get, even though I'm being really careful watching for that black ice, the last uh, lap, we're going down the last big hill, and I have my right hand tucked inside my pocket. And I don't know if you're a biker, Mel, but as I'm going down the last hill, you lost your balance. I'm going yes. too fast, and and uh, what? And now the natural impulse is I want to slow down, so I'm going to put the brakes on. But I've got my left hand on the front brake, and I start to see myself squeezing the left front brake almost in slow motion because you know you're never supposed to squeeze the left brake first or the front wheel will lock and you'll That's fly. right. So I'm looking at this. My right hand is tucked cozily in my pocket. My left hand is squeezing the front brake. I'm going, no, don't do that. And I flipped over the handlebar, landed on my left shoulder, my left hip, my left elbow, bounced off the asphalt in a construction zone on the road. And I went, got right to my feet, and I realized – oh, wait, the dream neurologist said I was going to be fine. So I got back on the bike and rode it home. Um, thankfully, I just had terrible bruises and didn't break any any bones. But then I got home and I, I took a lot of Arnica and home, other homeopathic remedies and I, I, I did okay, but I was puzzled by the dream and why the morning part had somehow seemingly failed because ordinarily my right brain is going to be protecting me with my intuition. And this time it sort of did the opposite. So I puzzled over this for a while and I thought, okay, it was sort of a precognitive dream, but it was also sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because even though I was being very careful, I did something really irrational and stuck my right hand in my pocket. And if you think about the whole right brain, left brain connection, my right hands connected to my left brain. So by putting my right hand in my pocket, I took my left brain offline. And then my left hand connected to my right brain squeezed the brake. <laughs> so my intuition created this accident. I'm thinking, why in God's name would I do something like that? I mean, to fulfill the dream? You know, and, and then I realized that I just had my 60th birthday. I was just going back to Duke to work again for the first time in 11 years. And I took a header off the bike, bounced off the asphalt and walked away without any serious injuries. And I thought, okay, maybe I was teaching myself a lesson in resilience. And I thought, okay, why would I need that lesson? Well, um, two, a month later, I applied to do a TED talk locally, a TEDx talk uh, and in January, and it was gonna be done in March. 
And I thought, well, there's not much of a chance. Well, maybe a one in a hundred chance I could pick for the TED Talk. And I had booked myself heavily for March with two or three weekends out of town giving lectures. And sure enough, I got the TED Talk. And so I had to squeeze in all these rehearsals and, you know, all these conferences all in that month. And then I get a phone call and my mother and sister are both diagnosed with recurrent breast cancer in the same month which means I had to deal with that on top of everything else. So the resilience turned out to be very important to get me through that month. And I wound up doing the TED Talk, which is on my website now. And if you go to LarryBurkeMD.com, you can actually watch the TED Talk, which has been censored. For your audience to know that I'm now joined the ranks of Rupert Sheldrake and Graham Hancock and other other people whose TED Talks have been censored. (laughs) I just spoke with the Rupert um, email a few months ago, and he was telling me about that. He's one of my heroes for sure, and I never thought I, I would wind up getting censored also. Uh, but if you want to watch the talk, it's no longer on the TED Talk uh, website. It's not on YouTube. You can only watch it on my website, and you have to click on the little X in the upper right-hand corner of the red banner to remove it so you can actually watch the uh, the pictures. So have fun with that. And Graham Hancock, too, a good friend of this radio program. Same thing. Now, why do you think that you have been censored? I know... In their case, well, they discuss a lot of things about our past, especially Graham and Rupert. But in your case, why you? Well, I was told by my coaches to be very conservative and to speak as if everyone in the audience would be a skeptic about this. And I did exactly as I was told. And it turned out that everyone at lunch at the lunch break at the TEDx uh, forum, everyone talked about dreams over lunch because that was just so inter- interesting to them. It got put up on YouTube, approved, went through the TED approval process, got 7,000 views. And then, unfortunately, I uh, got really ambitious and decided to apply for the TEDx Prize, which is a million-dollar prize every year to fund some worthy TED project and take it to the next level. I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity to get some funding for dream research. So I submitted the proposal. And unfortunately, that was like poking the bear because I, I, I drew attention to myself. And a week later, I did not get the dead prize and I got I got censored. So that was a lesson for me, I guess. Do you think that uh, the fact that you were that there was a high chance that you might have won the one million dollars for research And they just didn't want to give you the opportunity. They gave you the opportunity to do this speech, the the, the TED Talk, but taking it to the next level was a no-no. Well, it's interesting. I drew the analogy in my talk to my early MRI research when I did MRI the knee back in the 1980s. In my first project, there was 20 people who we scanned their knees to look for meniscal tears. And back then, no one believed you could see a meniscal tear on an MRI scan. Uh, And... We just did that to prove that you could, and we correlated it with the pathology reports. And I said, and there was no control group. There was no randomized controlled trial. I said, that's exactly what the DREAM project was like. It was just a test to see how the DREAMs correlate with the surgery. And hopefully, then we'll go on to do more rigorous research like we did a couple years later in MRI the knee and MRI the shoulder. Um, But I guess that wasn't good enough for them, Uh, at least uh, hopefully – We'll be able to go back in a few years and tell them we've got much more serious research and and we can maybe win the TED Prize down the road. But you know what they say, first they laugh at you, then they this and that, and at the end, you win, right? (laughs) 
And they say, we knew that all the time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, in your case, Kat, when was your first dream? When did you have the, that first dream? Uh, about the breast cancer? Yes. Um, that was uh, in 1998. It was uh, right after Halloween <laughs> and going right into, you know, the, the month of breast cancer month and going into November, which is cancer month. So it was right after that that I had uh, the dream, which I talk about in my first book, Surviving Cancerland, where I'm actually in a bathtub looking up through the skylight and, and that night is when I the, the monks walk into my dream and say, you have breast cancer. When I'm reading your book, I find it that this can be taught. This actually, this modality, people think, oh, but everybody dreams. Well, not everybody dreams. I think that, you, in my opinion, you have to be in a certain state. You have to be sleeping a number of hours. If we're really tired and or you have drank too much, you cannot dream. You have to be at a, spe a specific time and place Am I correct in saying this, that you have to have certain qualities in order for the dreams to happen, to, 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 to go through a dream sequence? I would, I would uh, say, uh, can I mean just say that? Yeah, go ahead, Lair. Since I'm going to have to sign off pretty soon, yeah. I just want to mention that I think the most important thing is setting the intention and mm -hmm. doing that by keeping a dream diary intentionally. And I'm always shocked when I lecture to groups of psychotherapists. At 100 psychotherapists in the room, I say, how many of you keep a dream diary? And it's like less than 10%. I'm like, okay, didn't anyone ever take a class on Yonin Exactly. <laughs> so sad, you know? And and then, of course, he, their their clients are keeping even fewer dream diaries. So it's it's something that could easily be brought back into a, a commonplace thing where everybody did their dream diaries overnight, discussed them at breakfast with the family. That could just be such a cool thing. And people are actually starting to do it on their Smartphones now. I mean, I like to keep mine in just a regular old uh, composition book um, because I like to use a little red uh, LED battery-powered alarm clock to illuminate my diary so I can write uh, down my dreams without disrupting my pineal function with, with a white, bright light. Uh, but some people are just recording them on their smartphones and keeping their dream diaries on an app from the group that sponsored my original dream research, dreamscloud.com. They're the, essentially the Facebook social media site for, for dream sharing. And they're millennials now keeping all their dream diaries on their smartphones and sharing it with their friends. So I'd love to see that become a popular, cool thing to do. That's great because I remember years ago, I used to have a, a tape recorder. Then I graduated to a digital recorder. But then when I travel, I don't have them with me sometimes. But now with smartphones, all you need to do is just press the button and record your dream. Because I bet you, folks, in less than an hour, that dream is gone. Why is it? Mm -hmm. what, is, what is the scientific explanation as to why the dream becomes erased from our minds? Well, I, I have to say that the dream occurs probably in the theta state. And once your brainwaves are going into up to alpha and even higher into beta, it's hard to access that uh, lower brainwave frequency where the imagery occurs. One thing that does help is if you get back into the same position you were in when you had the dream, you can sometimes just reset your brain to go back there. Or to, if, you, if you captured an image or two, you can re-enter the dream through uh, bringing that image to mind and, and then seeing if you can get the dream to start up again. And some people are good at that. 
uh, and other times if you're just in the shower uh, in a state of reverie, the dream, some of the dreams might pop back in um, with, without any effort on your part. And that's a blessing if that occurs, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't depend on it. I certainly wouldn't say to myself when I woke up in the middle of the night with a particularly compelling dream is, oh, that was such an amazing dream. I'm sure I'll remember it in the morning. Uh, d- don't tell yourself that lie. Just get up and write it down. And because sometimes it helps you get back to sleep because you've actually, rather than staying awake, obsessing on the dream, you can just write it down and think, I'm going to work on this later in the morning and see what see what else comes up. And maybe you'll have a few more dreams to clarify it in the next uh, few hours. So, yeah. How about you, Kat? How do you keep a personal dream diary? Well, I actually keep uh, just a composition book next to my bed. And uh, when I was going through uh, treatment and I was down there in that that low theta state of healing level is what I call it. That's where you get a lot of information and a lot of healing occurs down there in that theta, low, low level. And it's really hard to pull that up with you through alpha and beta when, when, when you're waking up, but you've got to kind of grab that, that uh, lizard by the tail, as it were, and drag it up there with you and out. And so as soon as you get it up there, you've got to write it down because if you move around too much or you wake up too much, you'll lose your dream. And there is one other brain state that's just starting to be researched these days, and that's the gamma state, which is even higher than beta, up in the 30 and 40 hertz range. And that's sometimes associated with lucid dreaming, where, you, where you're you're in a dream state, and all of a sudden, the monks show up, and you go, wait a minute, this is not a real dream, this is this is a whole other level, and you have an aha moment. Or you, know, you can also get gamma when you're awake, and you have breakthrough thinking, and you have this, this aha moment, like, I solved the problem, and that was a burst of of gamma that comes through. And uh, and I think that being able to access all these different brain states, uh, they all have their useful um, um, purposes at different times in our states of consciousness. So. Have you ever heard of Dr. Jeffrey Thompson? That name sounds vaguely familiar, but remind me. Uh, Delta, sleep systems, theta, uh, gamma, you name it. I have all his work and I use it depending on what I'm in need. If it's that I need to fall asleep, I use the Delta sleep system. Uh, if I need to be awake, I use all that. It's, do you think the modality of listening to specific sound waves would help you get the answers from your dream state? Well, I, I do teach at the Monroe Institute twice a year and where they've done a lot oh, of is research. that right? Yeah, with the binaural beats. I, I teach a class yeah. on med- medical intuition and, and symbolic healing with Winter Robinson, who's a medical intuitive, and we actually do spend every morning discussing dreams for an hour right after breakfast. And, and so we have people going in and out of altered states using the hemisync um, binaural beats uh, all all day long. But then when we go to sleep, it's just kind of like a continuation of the process. So you can get intuition when you're awake or when you're asleep and kind of move in and out of those states for the whole week when, when we're there. So. I just find it that if we have eight hours of work, eight hours of play for people who are lucky to be able to have those eight hours and eight hours of sleep, there should be a more productive way to sleep if we can get information. And I think what we've discussed tonight so far is helping in that in that way. But I know you have a prior commitment, Dr. Burke. I really appreciate you spent this hour with us. If you want to leave us with one last nugget of wisdom, then we have another hour with Kathleen. Give us your last remarks, conclusion for your part. 
I would say uh, use your intuition and your dreams to become empowered to to do your own self healing. I mean, that's the real message, and and what we're doing and all the dream work is you've got an inner physician. Learn to get in touch with with, with that part of your being that's going to guide you, and use the best of modern medicine in the most intuitive way possible. And that way you'll get the fewest side effects. I will mention that Wanda Birch, one of our dreamers, used her dreams during her chemo and to have very few side effects. She she dreamed that the toxic chemo with bags of XXX poison hanging by her bed were turning into energy food as they ran through the IV tubes into her arm. And she recorded that as a guided meditation. What, what better way to get through your chemo than take something from your higher self and turn it into a visualization? She did that. And at the end of her course of chemo, her doctor thought, must be some mistake. You've gotten way more chemo than any of my other patients. And you had no side effects. Well, that's a great testimony to the healing power of uh, dreams and, and guidance and, and to make the best of Western medicine and, and bring in your intuitive holistic aspects as well. So that's that's my message and, and uh, encourage people to check out uh, LarryBurkeMD.com for more insight into that. The book, Dreams That Can Save Your Life, Early Warning Signs of Cancer and Other Diseases, and a lot more discussed in this book. Dr. Larry Burke and Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. Once again, your websites and how can people buy the book? Oh, and also they can check out our Facebook page, which is just a dreams cl- uh, uh, dreams that can save your life uh, on Facebook. And that way, if people have, if they also have um, any um, dreams they want to share with us for the next book, health related dreams that have some uh, proof of, of what the actual uh, illness is, that would be wonderful to to put in the next book. And I'll let Kathleen tell you her website as well. So. Yes, my website, uh, you can either use my name, Kathleen O'Keefe, O-K-E-E-F-E, Cannabis, just like the cannabis you smoke, but it's, this is a Cannabis with a K, A-N-A-V, as in Victor, O-S, or the Queen of Dreams.com. Both of those will take you to my website where today, Mel, your listeners will, can download a free uh, Dream 101 video course just for listening to us on this show. Excellent. You guys have a good hour coming up here. So thanks for having me. Thank thanks, you, Dr. Larry. Burke. Okay. Well, <laughs> folks, we have one more hour, and I'm really excited to continue because we're going to discuss testimonials and we're going to discuss ways in which you can attain to having more dreams because I know many people just fight having them. Don't fight them. Just put yourself in a place where you can. Much more when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.